What a great song. It really is. All the hymns are great hymns, but man, some of them are just, just bam, just kind of kick like a mule, don't they? <laughs> All right, tonight we're going to hit up lesson number two on pneumatology, uh, personality of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I, I got no kudos for writing bigger. Okay, all right. Just looking for self, uh, you know, yeah, self help here. What's that? More bigger. You know, I was teaching fourth grade this week, and uh, we were going over that more or most or er and est. So most bigger, biggin. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ, and thank you for the Word of God. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to have a Bible, and what a privilege it is to learn about you, about your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you guide and direct us into all truth as you, your Word says you will. And Father, we come before it, and we come before it humbly, and we come before it carefully, but Father, we come before it thankfully. Lord, we know uh, many people don't have it, and many people don't want it. Father, I pray that you just continue to teach us and give us light in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, lesson number two. Last time we were together, and we're going to go as fast as we can. That's why I wrote the references up there. So if you need to get a picture of this or take any notes, uh, don't crucify me too bad. But there's a lot here, and I think it goes, goes together pretty well quickly. But anyways, the last time we were together, we ended on 10 things that only a person can do, uh, which the Holy Spirit does. And we said this, those 10 things were the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God, uh, the Holy Spirit can speak, uh, the Holy Spirit can cry out, the Holy Spirit intercedes for saints, He testifies, He teaches, He leads and directs. He commands and he calls men to work and give tasks, and then he proceeds to the task which he was called. That's kind of where we left off. And the Holy Spirit is a person. We told you last week it's totally appropriate when referring to the Holy Spirit to refer to him as a he, as Scripture gives uh, over 16 inferences, instances in John chapter 16, I'm sorry, 12 instances in John chapter 16 alone where the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he. Now, the notable exceptions you remember is Romans chapter 8, verse 16, and Romans chapter 8, verse 26, you refer to the Holy Spirit as itself because you're referring to its work. And we'll review those as often as we can because there's only two notice, notable exceptions in the Word of God where you ever would refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, itself. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is the only place, uh, and that's, of course, referring to his work. But all these other places, you're referring to him, a he, as a person, and uh, the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is a person. So this lesson, we want to look at the personality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first thing, we'll jump right into it, and the personality of the Holy Spirit, the first thing you should know uh, is, number one, He was active in creation. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He was active in creation. Uh, it wasn't the work of God the Father alone. It wasn't the work of God the Son alone. It was the work of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, oh, lo and behold, the Spirit of God shows up. You see it there? The Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. He was active in creation. Isn't it a blessing to know that the third part of the Trinity is right there 
in chapter 1 and verse 2. He then shows up again in verse either 26 or 27 where the Trinity says, and let us make man in our own image. So he is active in creation. He's active in the creation of man. And not only that, but number two, uh, regarding his personality, the Holy Spirit, he seals. He seals. This verse should become as familiar to you as the socks you pull up on your legs. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Certain scriptures and certain verses should stick out to you, and this should be one. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, uh, the Bible says, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. The day of redemption, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Holy Spirit's main job is to seal the believer. A lot of people think the Holy Spirit's main job is to make them feel good and give them goose pimples and make them blabber in an unknown tongue, but you and I both know that's not it. He is called the Comforter. We'll get to his office of the Comforter in a minute, but the main job of the Holy Spirit is to seal the believer, and I'm thankful that's his main job because when I got saved, he sealed me. That means I'm not getting out <laughs> no matter how bad I mess the thing up. He, the Holy Spirit, seals. I'll look it over at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, not only does the Holy Spirit seals, but in regards to his personality, the Holy Spirit regenerates. He regenerates. John chapter 3, if you look at verse 6, the Bible says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's two births that a man has. There's a physical fleshly birth. Uh, that's the, one, the first one he's talking about. That's the water birth. Of course, not baptism, but the second birth there is a spiritual birth. But he regenerates. He regenerates. And the Spirit, a man is born of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives the new birth. I'll say it again. The Spirit gives the new birth, for the Holy Spirit regenerates. All right, number four, and concerning his, uh, his personality, the Holy Spirit is also the comforter. Look at John chapter 14. Bible plainly says he's the comforter. He says it a couple times there. John chapter 14, if you look at verse 16, I want you to realize plainly the Holy Spirit is the comforter. That's his office, and we'll talk about the office of the comforter at length here in a minute. But he is the comforter. John chapter 14, verse 16, the Bible says, And I will pray the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you when? Forever. You want assurance of salvation? You know what you have to do? Simply believe the word of God. It is a sin not to believe the word of God and doubt your salvation. For the Bible says, once you're saved, uh, the Bible gives you, the, the whole, the, Jesus Christ gives you the comforter that he may abide with you forever, forever. All right, not only that, but uh, if that wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who inspired the scriptures. He inspired the scriptures. If you take your Bible, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, you'll see this plainly. He inspired the scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. I'm glad I have an inspired book in my hands. The Bible says in verse 21, 2 Peter 1, 21, For the prophecy, the prophecy, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see that? They were moved by the Holy Ghost. Men spake, and it got written down, but they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You say, who inspired the Scriptures? It was the Holy Ghost. 
the Holy Ghost inspired scriptures. If you go over to Genesis chapter 40 and you see the account of Joseph, not only did he inspire the scriptures, I didn't write it up here, but the Holy Ghost is the one who interprets the scriptures. There is no matter of private interpretation. The Holy Spirit, he inspired the scriptures, and he's the one that interprets. Well, how do you interpret? By believing what it says. Amen? By believing what it says. I look at Psalm 12, 6, and 7. Not only does he interpret it, but he preserves it. You have in a book that was uh, uh, inspired, uh, interpreted by the Holy Ghost, and it's preserved as well. It's the Holy Spirit who preserves the scriptures. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. Of course, we know the Lord is the name for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this will help you understand where we come across our references, our scripture references. Psalm chapter 12, right? Matthew 28 says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, and there's only one name that matches all three of those, and that's the Lord. That's the Lord. The Lord is the Father, the Lord is the Son, and the Lord is the Holy Spirit. All right, Psalm chapter 12. I want you to understand that when we read these verses, so you don't think I'm just pulling them out of my ear. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. You see that? The words of the Lord, the Lord, are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's a blessing. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who inspired the scriptures. He interprets the scriptures, and he preserves the scriptures. And preserves are sweet. And you've got a sweet book like honey under the honeycomb, the Bible says. And uh, that's how he, uh, that's the part of the personality of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> uh, the third person of the Godhead, is would you, believe, would you believe me when I say he's a very important person? <laughs> he's a very important person in the Word of God, and is he of no less important than God the Son and God the Father? You need to understand that. He's of no less importance than God the Father or God the Son. The Holy Spirit has been assigned a definite office, uh, and that definite office is the comforter. He's been, he's been assigned the office of comforter. He's your comforter. And, uh, and that official comforter is one who's uh, someone who's called alongside to help. And face it, Christian, we need help, so the Lord gave us the Holy Ghost. Amen? As the comforter. Uh, he's a personal companion. I look at John chapter 14, verse 16 again. John chapter 14, verse 16 again. You have within you uh, the Holy Spirit, also called the Holy Ghost, who, has the, uh, who is the office of the comforter. That's his office. That's what he does. John chapter 14, verse 6. Now, I know this is clerical, but this stuff is a blessing to me, and I'm hoping it's somewhat of a blessing to you. Uh, this kind of rapid succession fire and teaching uh, prevents you from getting bored. <laughs> John chapter 14 and verse 16, the Bible says, and I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, capital C. You know, it's a person. Comforter that he may abide with you forever. Man, they've been hauling beets all day long. Truck out. I mean, as, as soon as it gets down there to Ginrich and dump that thing out, he's back again. It's, I, think it's, I think it's, what, 20th load, 30th load? Easy? It's in the Bible somewhere, amen. <laughs> John 14, 16, Jesus said, he shall give you another comforter. 
So as a person, you need to realize the Holy Spirit becomes our best friend, our best friend to comfort us and to guide us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He it's who that comes alongside to help you in time of need, in time of trouble. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, same chapter, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. Isn't that a blessing? He told the disciples that. He loved the disciples, and they were his brethren. And you know what? When you, become, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in Christ. You become a brother of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? And you know what? He's not, he didn't leave you comfortless either. Uh, just many times we don't appropriate ourselves of the power that the Holy Spirit, the comfort that the Comforter leaves us. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had no intention of leaving the apostles and disciples as fatherless orphans. That was never his intention, so he didn't leave them like orphans. Uh, you know this verse, uh, Proverbs, uh, not Proverbs, Psalm chapter 27, great chapter, great Davidic psalm there. Psalm chapter 27, verse 10, the Bible says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. You say, well, that has to do with uh, David. Yeah, sure it did. But it's also a reminder that the Holy Spirit is, will take up for you. He'll take up for you. He will not leave you comfortless. Over in Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, you've got to remember the, the, the office of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And we read this in Isaiah 66, 13, As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Talking about the Jews. Talking about end times. But hey, let me tell you what. The office of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And he's there to comfort us. He's there to comfort us about many things. Not make us feel good. So the Holy Spirit then, he's the comforter. And he's someone called alongside to help the Christian. And there's a number of things the Holy Spirit can do for us. Uh, I suppose they're innumerable. I suppose they're, you couldn't count them. And these also, uh, these also go underneath the personality of the Holy Spirit. So we'll go back into that at the moment here. Uh, notice this number six, for example. Some of the things that uh, the Holy Spirit can do for us is the Holy Spirit is the cure. He's the cure for an abnormal fear of darkness. Have you ever considered that? Those of you who are afraid of the dark, those of you when you get left in your bedroom or left in the bathroom or left in a barn or left wherever and it's dark out, you start to... Uh, cry out, and you start to get worried, and you start to shake in your boots, remember, remember, the Holy Spirit is the cure for an abnormal fear of darkness. Uh, remember, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is in you, which is in you, and the Holy Spirit is light. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is a cure for an abnormal fear of darkness. Now, lots of little kids are afraid of the dark. Well, some adults are afraid of the dark. But you're children of light, the Bible says. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. We'll hit verse 7 first. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If you back up to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, you know what that Bible says? The Bible says that God is light. God is light. And the Holy Spirit's light. And uh, Jesus Christ said in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see that? So the Holy Spirit, what he is, he becomes the searchlight of the Lord. He becomes the searchlight of the Lord put inside of the believer. 
uh, this old man to illuminate the inward parts of the body and to bring light to darkness. Did you get a hold of that? When you got saved, the Holy Spirit was put inside of you to bring light to things of darkness. And the Holy Spirit, he is a cure for an abnormal feel of the dark. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1, uh, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, uh, the God who said, let there be light, he brought light upon the chaos of this earth. This world was in chaos, and the Lord spoke, and light appeared. And when a Christian is saved, the Holy Spirit can help him overcome the abnormal fear of darkness. If you have an abnormal fear of the dark, the Holy Spirit, he's your comfort to bless you and to take care of you. You see that? You should have communion with the Holy Spirit over that. Well, that's just ridiculous, is it? Next time you're afraid of the dark, why don't you talk to the Holy Spirit? He's inside of you. He's your best friend. He's the comforter. He'll bring you comfort if you believe his word. All right, if you're afraid of being alone, look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. You say, preacher, uh, some of these aren't doctrinally correct. I understand, but the practical application of Scripture is wonderful. There's more than one application of Scripture. And sometimes you need to not ignore doctrine, but you need to understand there's a value. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Hebrews chapter 12 Look at 5 and 6. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. Is that who we want? Oh, 13. Yeah, thank you, brother. 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Didn't really want that, but that's good. I'll preach too. Amen. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, here it is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now you know why that's right? even though that might be applied to something out in the tribulation, and when you're going up through the rapture, so forth and so on, you know why you know that's right? Because the Holy Spirit, uh, he was given to you in John chapter 14, verse 16, and that thing lines up with Johanna and Pauline doctrine. He'll never leave you. I don't care if that's to you in the tribulation or that, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I just preached heresy there. I don't care if that's to you leaving out of here, Amen. <laughs> And the Lord's going to be with you as you go up through the great Red Sea like the Egyptians faced the Red Sea. You see what I mean? But that Holy Spirit was giving you, that thing matches right up. That's a great verse. And uh, he says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Why? So that we may boldly say, the Lord, there it is again, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Jesus also said, like we said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16, that he abides with you forever. So once he comes in, you got him. He's not going anywhere. Amen? Not only that, the next one here, number seven, uh, the Holy Spirit, he is a cure of insomnia. A cure of insomnia. Uh, try communing with the Holy Spirit, and you just might fall asleep quicker. I'll say it again. Try communing with the Holy Spirit, and you will fall asleep quicker. As one feller said, instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I, I struggle with sleeping for longer periods of time. I do get sleep. Uh, I'm not complaining, but I do get up. I'm sometimes restless. Sometimes I don't get the sleep that I think I need, but who does? Amen. Everyone thinks they need another nap. I'm one of them guys there. Uh, when I was in my 20s and even in my 30s, I could, I could lay down and sleep for four hours straight. Now I'm lucky to go two or three. Uh, and I hear the older you get, the worse it gets sometimes. 
Amen? But the Holy Spirit is a cure of insomnia. Instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd. The Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 about the love of God and the communion, the communion of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? Something not preached about, something not spoken of. The communion of the Holy Ghost, not looking to uh, overemphasize a strange doctrine, but the Bible talks about the communion of the Holy Ghost. Uh, consider there in Psalm, what is it, 127, verse 2? That's what it is, Psalm 127, 2. You know what the psalmist says? He says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. You know what the Lord's trying to get, tell you? You need some sleep. I mean, I know he's talking about spiritual distress and that, but he says over there in Matthew, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. We're not saying there's not certain conditions where pills and doctors aren't necessary. For the person who's sick under the medical care and medication, some of those things are appropriate and necessary. But there is really no excuse for an average man in his right man, a born-again, saved child of God, to have trouble with these things. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you to take the place of pills. Amen? Still good preaching. Lester Olaf said the only pill this country needs is the gospel pill. <laughs> I can hear him saying it. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit is a cure for insomnia. Well, number eight, the Holy Spirit, he's the cure for all loneliness. Loneliness. Everyone in here has been lonely at times. Uh, there's lonely, loneliness in the chain of command. There's loneliness in the misunderstanding of feelings. There's loneliness when you don't have family around that you wish you did. But he's the cure for all loneliness. You take that passage again we were just at in Hebrews 13, 5 to 6. He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. And as the comfort, that's his role. What's that? To comfort those who are lonely. John 14, 16 again. You should be getting familiar with these things. I wrote six on there. It's not. It's 16 is what it is. You see that John chapter 14, verse 16? Let's talk about the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost coming to live inside of you forever. And he never leaves out, never leaves out. That scripture, you got God's word on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Bible talks about the temple, the Holy Ghost is in you. Not only is your body the temple of the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost is in you. And you further study that thing out, and you have the presence, the fullness of the Godhead inside of you. He's the cure for all loneliness. The hymn writer said it like this, No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. You think he was, you think he was worried about uh, losing his salvation? No, he wasn't. The Holy Spirit is the cure for all loneliness. How about this one? The Holy Spirit's a cure for a broken heart. The Holy Spirit is a cure for a broken heart. You should let the Holy Spirit occupy the void of an aching heart. Now, every Christian in here has had a broken heart before and an aching heart, and it seemed like a terrible void and a terrible hole that you could have drove a truck through, driven a truck through, however you say that thing. But let the Holy Spirit be the cure for that aching heart. Let the Holy Spirit be the cure. Things that are taken away and the things that are gone can be only be satisfactorily replaced by the presence of God himself when the Holy Ghost fills a man. When you lose things in your life that are extremely important to you, like loved ones, like mothers, like fathers, like grandmothers, like those who you've had loves for, the only thing that can replace that is the Holy Spirit. There's a thing called replacement, uh, what's it called? 
replacement ideals or something like that. Not, I'm not talking, it's not theology, but, but it's, you know, you, you lose something, you got to replace it. The only thing you replace a heartache with is the Holy Spirit. He is the cure for, uh, he's the cure for loneliness and he's the cure for a broken heart. Stop and think about it. <clears throat> when the Holy Ghost uh, uh, fills a man and makes Jesus Christ real to him, that's the only way you can get through a broken heart. Uh, the only way the martyrs could endure the fire and the racks and the pulleys and the pinchers was through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit indwelling their bodies. When the Holy Spirit fills a man and the man manifests the fruits of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, you know, meekness, long-suffering, so forth and so on, you can't enrage a man like that. You can't infuriate a man like that unless you attack, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ, or number two, His Word. Psalm chapter 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But you start attacking his book, you probably make him mad. You, you start attacking his God, you probably make him mad. And that's why carnal Christians get upset, because the preachers will get in here, uh, family members will be at the house, and they'll start attacking their gods, and they get angry. There's only two things that should make a Christian mad, besides the sin and his own shortcomings. It should be when someone attacks the Lord, and or someone attacks his word. But besides that, there's, there's no reason why you should be upset about things. You cannot infuriate and enrage a man filled with the Holy Ghost by attacking him or his doctrine. You say, oh, I don't believe the way you do. Well, it's okay. <laughs> you say, I don't believe Santa Claus comes down the chimney. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know, help yourself. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes into a man, he, cannot, he not only enables him to take abuse and persecution, but he enables a man to deal with bereavement. Enables a man to deal with sorrow. He enables a man to deal with pain that he would not normally go through. Holy Spirit in the body of the believer enables him to spend days in lonely hospitals and to endure the most excruciating tortures in concentration camps. If you think about Sister, what's her name? Uh, Marianne. She's in the whatever the home there. What's it called? Yeah, she's over there in Osco County there at the, at the home there. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty lonely place to be. We joke about it. We joke about it in our family. And I say this, if it's going to become a pain in the tail, just stick me in a home and live your life. But that'd be lonely, wouldn't it? I sure hope to God there's some zealous Bible believers still around at that time when I'm drooling on myself. Amen? When I got, you know, lunch in my, in, on my, clo in my pocket, you know, because I missed my mouth and drinking half that stuff through the straw. You know what I mean? I hope there's someone to come visit me then. But the only thing that can get her through that, besides your encouragement and your prayers, is the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled the martyrs uh, burned at Smithfield during the reign of good old Bloody Mary, 1553 to 1558. She burned at the stake over 300 Protestants in five years. And so this God-forsaken, gutless world, more enthralled with their own uh, pleasure, they'd name a drink after her. Well, let me tell you what, she was Bloody Mary and she burned Bible believers at the stake. But it was the Holy Spirit that enabled those martyrs to give a successful testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, a successful testimony. You ought to read it. You want you get down feeling sorry for yourself and gloom, despair, and agony on me, and you got it rough and can't pay your bills. Go ahead and read about the Smithfield martyrs during the reign of Bloody Mary, 1553 to 1558. That'll put a, that'll put a bounce in your step. 
you think you got it bad, you go ahead and read about Harlem Popov stuffed in a, a Bulgarian prison for 13 years. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled to go through excruciating torture, excruciating pain, of sitting in a cell with 13 to 15 guys up to his knees in human excrement for days at a time and come out a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. If that's not enough, it was the Holy Spirit who enabled uh, Richard Wormbrand, uh, Richard Wormbrand, uh, to come out alive after three years in solitary by the Romanian communist to retain his mind and his senses and his good humor, and he wasn't even a Baptist. You say, how'd that happen? He had communion with the Holy Spirit. He's the cure for a broken heart. You're going to tell me Richard Wormbrand in that Romanian prison didn't have a broken heart? And didn't probably several times say, Lord, all I've ever done is give my life for you. What do I deserve? Why do I deserve this? Thirteen years, I read the one account with Harlan Popoff. They made him stand for seven days. Seven days straight they made him stand. They said when he was done, his legs were as big as elephant legs. Because all the blood from his body had drained down. They didn't let him sit. They didn't let him squat. They didn't let him kneel. Seven days he stood there like there, and stared at a bright light. I don't know how you could even do it. Holy Spirit, cure for a broken heart. Well, Christian, if you have a broken heart, the best cure for it is meditation upon the indwelling Spirit of God. I'll say it again. If you have a broken heart here tonight, the best cure for it is meditation upon the indwelling Spirit of God. He represents the one whose heart was broken for sinners and who wept over Jerusalem and in John eleven thirty five, 35, the humanity of Jesus Christ said that Jesus wept. That's it. He wept. If the pain is more than you can stand, and the bereavement is more than you can stand, because it might get that way, and it has gotten that way, and it might get that way again, uh, the preacher here says, just give up and take your poor body and lay it alongside his. Take your poor bleeding heart and soul and lay it alongside the crucified Savior and pray this, dear Lord, I can't stand it. Remember we're talking this morning? It starts with honesty. It starts with a heart. I can't stand it. Well, I don't think the Lord wants to hear that. You don't know what the Lord wants to hear. He wants to hear his children being honest and say, I can't stand this. This is more than I can bear. I can't bear it. Bear my sins for me. You can pray what the psalmist prayed. My wounds are foolish. They stink and are corrupt and my sins are gone over my head. Psalm 38, 4 and 5. They're too heavy for me to bear. Lord, I can't stand the loneliness. And let me tell you what, loneliness is real. Loneliness not, not only gets older people, it not only gets younger people, but it gets married people. It does. But you can tell the Lord that things are too heavy for me and I can't stand the loneliness. You can pray to the Lord and say, I can't stand the pain, I can't stand the sorrow. Uh, your word says you're a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You bear it, you take it, because I can't carry it. It's too heavy. It's all right to tell the Lord that. Why? You're human. He knows, but you're just what? Dust. He knows your frailties. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your mother knows you. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Oh, how we forget the precious promises of Scripture. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Today's Christian casts their burden upon Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and all the rest. And they give the world their burdens. They are, they're ambiguous. They go to social media, and they go to texting, and they, they group text or whatever that thing is, and they act like they're mad at the world. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit for that. <laughs> 
Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's the cure for a broken heart. The cure for a broken heart. Have you ever had a broken heart, Christian? Ever had that gnawing pain and wasn't sure why it was there? And sometimes you blame yourself for it. And sometimes you can know it's not you, but it's everything else. The Holy Spirit's the cure for it. Take to communing with the Holy Ghost. It'll help you. It'll comfort you. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the heart of the bereaved Christian. I'm telling you the truth now. To heal the brokenhearted, to raise up the humble and contrite spirit, and to take that soul, which might be you tonight, and bring it into communion with him who inhabits eternity. You ever stop and think about that, Isaiah 55, 15? The Holy Spirit's job is to take you and to be the cure for your loneliness and the cure for your broken heart and to bring you into fellowship with the God of the universe. That's his job. He's the comforter. Well, let me give you another one. The Holy Spirit and the believer. He encourages the believer for power and gives him a cure for helplessness. Now we go to an Old Testament passage, a nice spiritual reference here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. We could run a multitude of other New Testament passages, but this one conveys the meaning the best. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, the Lord tells Joshua, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and have a good courage. You ever been on fire for the Lord and wonder where your power came from? It surely isn't you. It's the Holy Spirit encouraging the believer for power. I tell my sons, live, I relive these days every now and then about a time where I saw on fire for the Lord. I was with a friend, and we went and first time I ever preached on the street. We preached in the parking lot of a strip club. <laughs> you say, oh, it's terrible. No, it's fantastic. We didn't go in, y'all. <laughs> we stayed in the parking lot. <laughs> and they all come out and surrounded the truck and were throwing little tickets in there. And I didn't know what they were, but my friend did. And I didn't ask how he knew it. But anyways, they were throwing tickets at us and so forth and so on. The cops showed up, and we are doing the best we could. I don't know if we were doing, getting anything done, but we sure were trying. The cops said, showed up and said, hey, man, we like what you're doing, but you can't do it here. I'm like, you can't? He's like, no, it's private property. So they made us move to the side of the road. We were so full of zeal and so full of joy, went and got $17 worth of gas at that time to fill that big old truck, 17 bucks. Just say that and let you think about that. We were so excited, we filled up, and we ran off without paying for it. <laughs> when we finally realized what we did, we turned around and went back. But the Holy Spirit gives you power, gives you power. He fills you up on joy. He fills you up on power. Have not I commanded thee, be a strong and of a good courage. Next time you feel on fire for the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit giving you the power to do so. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, right? All right. Well, let me give you another one. The Holy Spirit is an incentive in teaching and preaching. Incentive in teaching and preaching. I missed this one on the board. This would be number 11. He is the incentive in teaching and preaching. Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is with me right now to guide my teaching. And the Holy Spirit is with me to guide my preaching. That's when I pray. I pray I ask the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, you ought to ask the Lord to fill you with the Spirit. When you get up in the morning, you ought to ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Why? Because you need it. You need the power. He's the incentive in teaching and preaching. And the Holy Spirit will guide me in my teaching and my preaching. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. 
It's the presence of God. You know, he's my authority in personal work. He's my authority in personal work. The Holy Spirit is directing me to witness and give me power to witness. You ever felt like you wanted to witness to somebody? I can guarantee you that did not come from the devil. Now, the devil can do a lot of things and try to get you in front of the Lord and get you ahead of the Lord and get you left or right of where the Lord wants you, but the Lord will never get you to witness. For, for, uh, the, the devil will never get you to witness, that's for sure. See what I mean? And you ever felt the inclination to witness or the desire to witness or the desire to tell someone about Jesus Christ? That's the Holy Spirit. He's your incentive. He's your authority for personal work. And he's the one encouraging you for power. There's no excuse these days for a Christian not witnessing for Jesus Christ. Think with me just for a second. I'll do the best I can to preach a little bit. But the, uh, these people that shout hallelujah and glory to God in the church, say amen, but yet can never witness to a lost soul, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's an unholy spirit. You see what I mean? <laughs> now the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, they give you power to witness to unsaved people. They give you power to witness to unsaved people. The Holy Spirit is not going to try to convince you to debate and argue with Christians who are already saved unless you're in a position where you can help their subverting. But it's the Holy Ghost who gives you power to witness the unsaved people. And he gives you the power to tell them what? Tell them without Jesus Christ they're going to go to hell. One of the most difficult things you'll ever tell someone in personal work is you're going to hell. Boy, that's a swallower, ain't it? You're going to burn. Well, that just changed the dynamic of the friendship right there, didn't it? I mean, you lay it all out on the line, but I tell you what, once you tell them and you do the best you can to speak the truth in love, and sometimes you got to say, man, you're going to fry like a sausage in hell is what you're going to do if you die. Boy, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit sure is happy and he continues to give you power to go farther. And even when, uh, uh, when the Holy Spirit gives you power, you just take the word and lay it on them and bring them under conviction. When you deal with people long enough, you begin to see when they're under conviction and when they're just brushing it off. And when they're under conviction and even when they get upset with you and even uh, when the Holy Spirit gives you authority to deal with unsaved people about their sins and lack of salvation, they'll still get mad at you. But the Holy Spirit's the one that will give you power to deal with them about their sins. You know, the modern Christianity says, don't judge me. Let me tell you what, if someone wouldn't have judged me about my sin, I never would have got saved. Sometimes you got to tell a sinner about their sins. And that's the Holy Spirit who will give you the power to do that. So the Holy Spirit, He's a person. He has a definite work. He's the comforter. Now we're coming around to the end of this thing, and the Holy Spirit on that right side of the board there, He has emotions. Isn't that interesting? Now the Holy Spirit has similar characteristics to you and me, and next week, uh, well, two weeks from now, <laughs> will study those divine attributes that only pertain to God. But the Holy Spirit has emotions, kind of like you and me, some more and some less. But inside the Holy Spirit's emotions, the first one I want you to see is he can be grieved. He can be grieved. We read in Isaiah 63.10, but they rebelled and vexed his spirit, capital S-P-I-R-I-T. That Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. And not only that, uh, not only can he be grieved, uh, Paul cautions the Christians in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Why? You're sealed into the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. That word grieve means to provoke, to displease, to afflict pain on, 
You can do that to the Holy Spirit. You can cause the Holy Spirit pain. I wonder how many times last week you caused the Holy Spirit pain. I wonder how many times you offended the Holy Spirit last week with your lack of belief in His Word, in His promises. Well, not only that, number two, in His emotions, the Holy Spirit can be insulted. Insulted. You can not only grieve the Holy Spirit, but you can insult Him. Over there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, there's a class of people. If you read that passage through, the Bible says that have done despite to the Spirit of grace. Have done despite to the Spirit of grace. And that's an insult. As a child of God, you must be diligent not to insult the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this sounds like a lot of rattle and clatter, but I'm telling you what, this, this stuff's ammunition for your Christian life. You've got to be diligent not to insult the Holy Spirit. He's insulted or vexed when you ignore the preaching. He's insulted or vexed when you ignore what you read in His Word. He's insulted or vexed when you won't believe what He told you already. And He's insulted when you won't listen to His leading and direction in your life. Well, you can grieve Him, you can insult Him, and you know what you can do in number three? You can lie to Him. He can be lied to. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, dealing with Ananias and Sapphira, you remember we touched on it last week, uh, Peter says to uh, Ananias, why, I'll read it here. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? To lie to the Holy Ghost. All right, you can lie to him. He uh, can be grieved, insulted, lied to, and he can be blasphemed. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 12. Some Christians get turned around upside down and on their head with this thing. But scripture with scripture is a very clear representation of exactly what the Bible says. That word blaspheme means to speak evil of, to speak irreverently of God, to speak reproachfully of God, and to speak against God. In Matthew 12, 31, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is spoken of. Now, I just had that thing here and I lost my place here. Matthew chapter 12. You need two places. You need Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3, and it'll clear it right up. You got to remember all scripture is profitable, right? you got to remember, all Scripture is truth. All Scripture is absolute truth. Are you with me? All Scripture is absolute truth, but some Scripture is not complete truth. And that's how you learn to rightly divide, and now you apply Scripture with Scripture. Now look at Matthew 12, 31. The Bible says, Wherefore I say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven Unto men. So people take that verse right there and they're all worried in the church age about blaspheming the Holy Ghost and going to hell. You see that? I mean, if you read that all by itself, is that true? 100% true. But if you read that in the church age, you're looking at that going, hold on now, because as a child of God under grace, everything's forgiven. You see what I mean? So they need to back up to Mark chapter 3. What's he talking about? And some Christians will go around and they're never taught the Word of God. And they uh, believe that they can lose their salvation and they can blaspheme the Holy Ghost. But no doubt the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, but there's a specific time frame that it could be blasphemed where it can't be forgiven. All right, Mark chapter 3, look at verse 29. 329, the Bible says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Now, that thing is clearly described right there, what the sin is. Now, you need to understand this, Christian. It was a sin that could only be committed, number one, when Jesus Christ was on the earth. First of all, it could only be committed when Jesus Christ was on the earth. And the sin that was committed would have been, number two, 
saying that he, Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 3.29, had an unclean spirit. You see that? Now, we just cleared that up through a King James Bible. Can you uh, blaspheme the Holy Ghost? I suppose you could. But will it ne will never be forgiven of you? It will always be forgiven of you if you ask for forgiveness. Matter of fact, the inner man has no sin attached to him. That's how you clear that thing up, the difference between standing and state. And that's why these people are always worried about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. I've dealt with some of these charismaniacs, and when I disagree with them, they said I'm blaspheming the Holy Ghost, and I told them they're out of their mind. But they're always afraid they've committed it, so they're always accusing others of committing it. They kind of interpose their own sin upon everybody else. And what they do is they are the ones that despite the spirit of grace after they were saved by rejecting the main work of the Holy Spirit. After all, never forget, the main work of the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And it's to preserve the Christian until the advent and to conform him to Jesus Christ. And that's the main job of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said about the Holy Spirit, again, as you know, John 14, 16, that he will abide with you forever. He's not going anywhere. So you can clearly see, just through two lessons, that the Holy Spirit is a person. And he's a person because he possesses all the necessary qualifications of intellect, will, emotion, action, and knowledge. And once again, like we said, it's proper to refer to the Holy Spirit when you're dealing with the person as a he, and it's appropriate to deal with the Holy Spirit as an it when you're dealing with his work in Romans 8.16 and 8.26. But nonetheless, he is a person. Uh, the Christian, you should make your companionship of the Holy Spirit and your prayer ought to be like this. Lord, teach me more about the communion of the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach me more about the communion of the Holy Spirit. You should let the Holy Ghost be your companion, your partner, and your comrade of whom you have intimate fellowship with, moment by moment and day by day. He is the one of the most important people in the Bible taking a third place only to God the Father and God the Son, and yet he is co-equal with them. It's not third place as far as uh, low on the totem pole. He's co-equal with them. He's third because there are three different persons and one God. In closing, let's look at this passage in John chapter 14 with me. That's a long close, but anyway, we got about five minutes at least. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, a great passage. Great passage about the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, 16. But here in John 14, notice the words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In verse 16, we'll look at it again. And I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Amen? And you know, Ephesians 4.30, that the believer is sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 17 there in the book of John. John 14, 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he, look it, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now notice 14, 26. 14, 26. Bible says, But the Comforter, which is what? You see that? The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And what was the other verse? The spirit of truth. You see that? Are you picking up on it yet? Any man, therefore, who makes a difference between the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of God and the spirit of truth and the comforter and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit is a liar. They're all the same thing. They're all the same person. 
The Spirit of the Lord is the Holy Spirit, which is the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. So Christ equates them with each other. Any man trying to pull you apart or pull you aside and trying to get you to doubt that these are different individuals is nothing but a professional liar. And you see that clearly in Scripture. Christ said in John 14, 7, the Spirit of Truth is the Comforter in John 14, 16, whose name is the Holy Ghost in verse 26. So what do we learn from this? Well, uh, that's what I did the homework for on the bottom board. We learn, and I know you know this, but we learn invariably through the book of John chapter 14, uh, verses uh, 16 to 26, that the Trinity has different names. The Trinity has different names. For example, God the Father, his name is the Lord God, showing up over 500 times in the King James Bible. The Lord God Almighty, five times. God Almighty, 11 times. The Everlasting Father, I forgot to throw out five on there. One time. The Father, in reference to God the Father, over 100 times. Jehovah, four times. Jah, one time. Psalm 68, four. The Almighty, 44 different times. That's God the Father. Then you've got God the Son. He's referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ 28 times. Jesus at least 983 times. Christ 571 times. Jesus Christ 189 times. Emmanuel twice. God with us once. The Son over 200 times. The bread of life two times. The water of life three times. The way, the truth, and the life one time. The door twice. And the good shepherd twice. So that brings us down to the names of the third part of the Trinity, which is God the Holy Spirit. He's referred to as the Spirit of the Lord 31 times, the Holy Spirit 7 times. That's a great little study right there. The Holy Ghost 90 times, the Spirit of Truth 4 times, and the Comforter 8 times. And never confuse them. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. Three in one and one in three. Well, by that token, the third place in the Trinity has a number of names that you see there. All right, coming further as we try to find an end here, look at John chapter 15, verse 26. Now, this is something you should know. And the more you talk with people, and many of you are going to know where I'm going here, but the more you talk about with people, you'll uh, understand what we're dealing with here. The Lord Jesus Christ says in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. You see that? Both titles right in there. Which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of who? Talking about Jesus Christ, you see that? And ye also shall bear witness. Now in this great passage uh, in John 16, go to verse 7, uh, we read this. If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now notice uh, back in verse 13, John 16, 13. Note he says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into what? All truth. You see that? He'll guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit has never been known to guide anyone into any translation of the Bible that omits all the verses like those perversions and translations that come after 1880. Amen. 
Uh, that is not the Holy Spirit. That's a teacher or a scholar trying to get off track. That's not the Holy Spirit at all. But back in verse 13, he says, For he shall not speak of himself. And this is very salient. This is very important for you to understand. This is the most important thing about the Holy Ghost. You say, what is that? The fact that he doesn't talk about himself. Now think about it. The Holy Ghost does not speak of himself. The Bible says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So here, here we have the infallible mark of a person who knows nothing about the Holy Ghost, is that they keep talking about the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Doesn't know the Holy Ghost at all. When you hear people talk about the Holy Ghost and getting the Holy Ghost, you're dealing with a group of people or an individual who has never met or has no idea what the Holy Ghost is. Why? He shall not speak of himself. The job of the Holy Spirit is to speak about Jesus Christ and impart knowledge and understanding to you. John 15, 26 says the Holy Ghost came to testify of Jesus Christ. Uh, boys and I went shopping the other day and got some duds for going downstate, and we ran into this uh, fellow named Brandon. And he was a colored fellow, nicest guy in the world, gave a ton of discounts, so hopefully he did it all right. It doesn't matter, saved a bunch of money. And he's talking about how he was recently saved, and he wanted to know when I got the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And I just kind of looked at him. I didn't expect that. And I don't remember what I said. Probably some, I said, oh, I said, I don't need to speak in tongues. I said, I need the bridle for one I got. And he kind of laughed and chuckled at that a little bit. But he wanted to know when the last time I got that feeling from the Holy Spirit. I said, every time I read that book, and looked at me. And he kept dealing with the Spirit and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And that's a telltale sign. He got no clue what the Holy Spirit is. He says, yeah, I came in here. He says, I was all down and out. And he says, these two ladies came in and started telling me about the Holy Spirit and how I needed to get the Holy Spirit. You say, is he saved? If he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, he's saved. But his understanding of the Holy Ghost is screwed up, man. Spirit, spirit, spirit. He shall not speak of himself, the Bible says. His job is to come testify of Jesus Christ, to magnify Jesus Christ, to glorify Jesus Christ. That's John 16, 14. And to bear witness to Jesus Christ. That's 16, 27. And if you have no ability or power to witness to unsaved people about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, can I say you probably have never met the Spirit? <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not come to make you feel good, and that's a difficult thing to process, isn't it? He did not come to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit came to seal you. That's Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit was put inside of you by Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12.13. And he guides and leads you into all truth. We just went over that, John 16.13. And you know, the Holy Spirit uh, designs you to glorify uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the outstanding example of the Spirit-filled life is the Apostle Paul. That's the outstanding example. And you know what he says in 2 Corinthians 1.1? Paul said that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He also said in Romans 7.25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And he also said in Philippians 2.11 that Jesus is Lord. And people uh, filled with the Holy Ghost don't say the term Jesus as much as they say the Lord Jesus. You ever notice that about charismaniacs? And that Pentecostal crowd? It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is dealing with his humanity. Well, what do you say, Christ? Well, there's, there's the Lord's Christ and there's the devil's Christ. 
It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? The Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, in conclusion, the work of the Holy Ghost is what? To magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we've looked at his personality. When we get around this uh, time about two weeks from now, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to look carefully at the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ. And when you're dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ, uh, there's three, a couple things here. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit possesses divine attributes. That's attributes that's only attributed to God. Not only that, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the scriptures make very strong statements about the deity of the Holy, Holy Ghost, and we'll look at those as well. And then the uh, third thing is that the Holy Spirit is constantly linked with God the Father and God the Son, although distinct as a person. And that, of course, involves the study of the Trinity, which we'll hit to at a later date. But that's the end of lesson two, the personality of the Holy Spirit. He was active in creation. He seals. He regenerates. He is the comforter. He inspired the scriptures. He's the cure for a number of things, abnormal fear of darkness, insomnia, loneliness, a broken heart. He encourages the believer for power and much more. He has emotions and he's got his names. All right, that'll take care of lesson number two.